Hello and welcome to Lovecraft Country Critical, a podcast dedicated to HBO's Lovecraft Country. And I hear cries right now and screams. From yeah, I'm the baffled. Listeners. What's Where's Emma? You're yeah. not, you're not Emma. Oh no, not Len hosting an episode. But yes, I apologise. Emma is not available this week, so you you are stuck with me. You are stuck right. with Len. Hey. Um, yeah, sorry about that. Also stuck with me is the ever so lovely Lucy. Hello. Yeah, sounded lovely. <laughs> sounded that really lovely. There. Yeah. And Got her back very energetic side, and lovely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the small, unassuming Gaz. Right. Brilliant. Cheers. Yep. Yep. I mean, you've had Br- worse yeah. than that. Gaz. Bring, That's not bring back Emma. Yeah, I, I, I thought a small and unassuming sort of, you know, I thought that was nice. It's better than Seven Second Goblin or whatever. Yeah, exactly. We call you a goblin in other episodes. Well, so John was the goblin. Um, the... Yeah, true. He's gone. Don't worry about him. Don't mention John. He's, he's, he's dead to us. Not really. You mention him all the time, though. We're obsessed, aren't we? Um, anyway... <laughs> As is tradition here at Fan Critical uh, and the Fan Critical Podcast Network, we will begin by rating the episode in the patented Blueberry system. Then we will run through the plot, talk about Lovecraft slash sci-fi slash horror influences in Cthulhu Corner, as well as some book differences. And I can say right now, don't worry about that because it's sent in the book. Uh, And then, of course, we will go on to some listener feedback. And boy, howdy, do we have a lot of that. So... Stop saying boy howdy as well. That's, come on. <laughs> Emma would never say that. Boy howdy. No. Emma would never say that. You're right. Um, starting with you, Gaz, what's your hot take on episode six titled Meet Me in Daegu? Daegu. Um, Whatever. I yeah. uh, oh, Shall I explain the blueberry system as well quickly? Um, uh, yeah, I'll do it. Brilliant. One to five. <laughs> uh, zero to five. Uh, you can't have halves. It's a harsh but fair scale. Done. Go. So I I keep feeling like I'm about to uh, almost almost go the way of John and not quite but almost and sort of I keep feeling like I'm about to give up on this series a little bit um, subconsciously. Last week, you know, I, I gave it a three bloob. The week before I wasn't on, I gave it another three bloob and it was all feeling a little bit tired and um, I was finding it a little bit difficult to uh to to keep the motivation going with this series i absolutely loved this episode like it was i'm i'm going to say i don't know if that's a good thing for the overall my overall views of this series because i yeah. loved the fact that we were taken away from everything that's happening totally i loved the the change of 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 scenery i loved the visit to career uh, I loved the new character, um, you know, it, I, I, uh, GR um, in particular, obviously. Um, and and as its own, this this worked perfectly as its own self-contained bit of television. Um, and I'm really sad that from this point onwards, we're going to go back uh, to Chicago. To be honest, because I I want to I want to see more of this. Um, or maybe I don't. Yeah, maybe I don't. Cool maybe I don't. Maybe this was perfect. Maybe this was enough. But I, I loved it, yeah. and it, it gets yeah, five maybe. blueberries from me. Um, wow, 
that's the highest it can get. So <laughs> in a good. way, yeah. Top of the scale. Top it of the scale. Line. And I'm going to say, I think Top it's not. Berry. It's not the first. It's not the first five blue that this series has got from me. No. But this is the best episode. This is my favorite mm. episode. Um, well, thank you for that, Gareth. That's uh, yeah. That's a lovely score. I'm intrigued to hear what uh, what you guys think. Yeah, we actually haven't discussed this in our in our pre-show rabble that we just you know do when we chat and stuff so we actually don't know i i had no idea what you were going to give it i had a hunch you would give it five though that was my if i had to put money on it i would have given all my money to say that it was it was a five from you coming to lucy now i've got a prediction of what you're going to give it as well loose um i'll tell you afterwards okay after you've said it yeah tell um, gaz and then we can check yeah i'll tell gaz and we'll check paperwork okay <laughs> lucy go shoot blueberries please um i agree with gaz in that it is, the show is becoming a bit of a chore in some ways, I think, to watch. because, And I think that's because the tone is so wildly erratic that it's hard to look forward to it when you have no idea what to expect, if that makes sense. Interesting. Um, I, like, I, like, I like that take. But I do agree that this episode, bottle episode, I'm getting in there before you, Len, because you bloody Ooh, love a First note episode. on my notes, bottle episode. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it would be. I had to get in there. Um, I did really enjoy it as well. Um it was really beautifully shot. It's fucking creepy at times. And yeah, it was just a nice to have a break um, from what's been going on and the, the pages. You know I hate the pages. I yeah. not deal with the pages. Yeah, you don't like the pages, here. Um, Find more I paper. I agree with Gaz. <laughs> <laughs> now we need stationery. We need stationery. <laughs> Can't finish the book without the middle pages. <laughs> but I agree with Gaz that what does that say about the show if I'm like really enthusiastic about an episode that is completely different? Mm-hmm. But the setting is really interesting. South Korea, interesting time. Not something you see represented too much on Western TV. I have seen a couple of South Korean shows, which are fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and it gave us a bit of insight quite quickly, but quite um, deftly into Tick and his character, which I thought was really good. Yep. She's fantastic, Gia, just yep. exquisite to look at, and her acting was fantastic. And I'm, I am, I'm going to give it four. So it sounded like I was leading to a five there. It was a really enjoyable episode. Um, but yeah, then we're going to go back to Chicago, and I just, I don't know. But I'm or are we, we Lucy? I know what might happen. Are we going back Ooh. to Chicago? So that's. I'm going to give it four. Very solid. It's just, it's the tone is just so wildly erratic it doesn't even feel like the same show but you know we can only judge what we we are given so i'm going to judge it as a four blueberry lovely stuff all right i'm gonna echo gareth and give it a five um now this is and i'll prep you know i'll say right now this is nothing that's in the book you know this is a completely show made invention and i was very skeptical when i saw the previews last week um and i saw that this was going to be essentially an episode about Tick's time in the Korean War. Um, and I I was not looking forward to it, really, because I felt like, why are they scrambling for more material? But in hindsight, I think it's a breath of fresh air that the show desperately needed. Not to say that the show has been bad, because we've given the show some good scores. But like you said, with the tone being all over the place, I feel like it needed a palate cleanser um, at this stage of the season. And it's perfectly placed for me. Um, even though I loved last week's episode, I think now after having seen this bottle episode, as Lucy has mentioned, um, <laughs> it's it's completely reinvigorated <laughs> the storyline for me. It actually made me 
care more about Tick's character, which I thought it would actually be detrimental to his character. And I actually think it's, it's helped it so much for me. And it's just fantastic episode of television. Like GR played by Jamie Chung. She, uh, you know, Journey Smollett has been excellent. Um, but Jamie Chung in this episode is, is a rival. Like This is a good performance in this mm. episode. I love the aesthetic. Um, I like the parallel nature of the parental storylines for both Atticus and GR. Uh, and it's just a brilliant hour of television. Um, and it felt like a completely different show. And and like you said, take that as a good or a bad thing. Now, I knew this show was going to go in a more monster of the week sort of direction. And it still will. I can guarantee there'll be a couple of episodes in there which might be bottle episodes in themselves um, and go away from certain characters. Um, and I like that. I like, I do like having these short stories as they were like they are in the book I, I really do enjoy that so look this is this is the best episode of the season um sundown for me is the second best episode of the season the premiere i thought that was a brilliant episode of television i think this is the the high uh now of the season and it'll be very interesting to see if they can live up to this next week um but boy i hope they do Hats off to the writer's room for this. Um, I've been critical of some of their decisions for some book changes, but, you know, this is a book change that just elevated the source material for me, which is quite rare to see these days. You know, usually the source material uh, trumps that of the adapted. So without further ado, we're going to jump into the plot. But before we do that, a quick advert break. Yes, hello, welcome to the advert section of the pod. Um, obviously, we've got Len hosting today, so I'll be talking you through uh, the, the advert, which is unusual. Um, change can be good, though, so stick with us. Speaking of change, uh, we would like to ask some of you to uh, to make a change to your listening habits, if you possibly can. Um, some of you may not have subscribed just yet to Fan Critical, which is our Umbrella podcast, or uh, Len, what do you call it? Our Mothership, I think. Mothership podcast. Yeah, the Mothership podcast. So uh, if you aren't already subscribed to Fan Critical, please make sure that you do. Um, that's where you'll find all of our podcasts, including Lovecraft Country Critical, but uh, everything else that we've ever done. Uh, all of our, our Marvel movies or our Westworld or Game of Thrones coverage, it's all on there. Uh, Stranger Things, Um all sorts, all sorts of shenanigans. If you do enjoy listening to our shenanigans, is word of the day apparently. Word of the day. Um, we're we're uh, we're we're on Patreon. Um, so if you go to patreon.com forward slash fan critical, you can have a look at our, uh, our our tiers that are available to you there. Uh, entry level gets you access to uh, our cast episodes where we recast hit films and TV shows. So you can jump on there. We also even have a, a level uh, to which you can you can you can you can pay to tell us what to record on. Um, which, to be fair, we love we love that. We love doing our uh, our Patreon proposed podcasts. Failing all of that, your other option: leave us a, a review. We would love some positive reviews. Uh, we are very grateful for the huge number of positive reviews that we do get, uh, but we're greedy, greedy for more. 
Um, I believe that the exchange rate at the moment is roughly one star to one blueberry. So if you want to give us five bloobs, uh, I think the five star system on iTunes will uh, will, will translate and convert perfectly. So uh, that yep, works nicely. No grudges for, for using the star system in the iTunes case. That is the one exception where you can use stars. All will be forgiven. Absolutely. Um, all right. I think that's pretty much it from from uh, the advert section. So I'll hand back over to you, Len, in the studio. Okay, so we open up in what we believe to be a Korean cinema where we are watching Meet Me in St. Louis, uh, which is, of course, the 1944 hit with Julie Garland. And in this scene, she is singing the famous trolley song, which I will insert here. Clang, clang, clang went the trolley. Ding, ding, ding went the bell. I believe Lucy does a fine, ex- a fine version of that song. Clang, it's a karaoke clang, clang, classic for you, isn't it? Ring, there ring, ring, went the bell. There you go. There you go, see? The one day Judy Garland. That's Don't even need me. to put it in. <laughs> uh, we then see GR dancing around uh, and mimicking uh, Lucy, I mean Judy, uh, in a very stylistic <laughs> manner. Um, you know, and then we see this is all in her imagination. What were your guys' thoughts on this opening to the episode? Obviously, we're meeting this character for the first time. Uh, an interesting introduction, no? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, yeah, I, I, I like this. Uh, it, you get a sense that she's got a personality, you know. Um, obviously, we then realise that it's sort of in her imagination, um, which maybe later on in the, the episode that sort of makes sense as well. Um, you know, she's sort of imagining that this is maybe what it's like to to be a a person, um, as silly as that sounds. Um, but but yeah, cool cool introduction. I'm intrigued to find out more. Mm. Very intrigued. Uh, Lucy, thoughts? Yeah, it was a strong opening. Um, interesting to see that kind of Americana and American culture influence in South Korea at that time, just before the war before the you know Mm -hmm. the americans invade so there's already been like a cultural invasion and then there's a boots on the ground invasion um and yeah obviously what we find out about gia is yeah she is trying to learn how to be a human almost like an alien would via absorbing Mm. culture and i think bit third rock from the sun isn't it yeah (laughs) it's exactly like third rock from the sun um one of the soldiers i think later does say like you know, we had our culture wiped out by the Japanese for 50 years and you're choosing to, like, absorb American culture, um, which is yeah. quite telling as well. But, yeah, it was a, it was a good opening mm. and very, like, striking. It kind of reminded me, in a way, of, um, is it episode two, when Uncle George, RIP, and um, Letty are sort of dancing around the house to moving on up. It's kind of like a fantasy scene. Um, but yeah. an interesting way to start the episode, for sure. Yeah, we then move on to see that it is 1949. We are in Daegu, South Korea. Uh, we are at the house of GR and she is with her Umar who, you know, they're having this conversation. 
they're discussing that the family has had dishonor and disrespect ever since uh, Umar's husband has left. Mm. And GR says and proclaims that after she's finished her education, she will um, essentially bring honor back to the house. But the Umar says no, bringing men back to the house will actually bring uh, honor back to the family. Mm. So at this point, I was kind of like, oh, she just wants her to get married. It's that sort of Taylor's old of time story of the of the of the parent wanting. Um, you know, the daughter yeah. or, or son to marry well, essentially, yeah. and, and yeah. bring someone back into the household. Of course, uh, there's more disturbing reasons for this, as we find out later on. But at this point, I was very much like, okay, yeah, okay, this is interesting. I see sort of where this is going. When's the magic going to come into it? <laughs> when's the horror? Turns out not. Yeah, when's the horror coming in? It's, you no, know, it's it turns out. It's not far away. So uh, if you need to get a man, there's a couple of ways to do that. Now look, oh, yeah. you, you know your modern your modern day situation. You got your Tinders, you got uh, your Bumbles. You know, you got your is Hinge. Hinge might be one of them. You know, I don't know. I've uh, you know apps. You've got apps. How do you get your men? Well, good point. Um, before apps, um, they had something called speed dating, mm. right? So it, it, this is very old fashioned. So gather around, you know, kids. So still, yeah. gather around. Now, yeah. So you used to meet up in the time of your before <laughs> apps. There was a time of speed yeah. dating, or as they call them here, a meeting. Right? Yeah, That's meeting. what they call them. Yeah, yeah, meeting. a meeting. So essentially, she's at speed dating, and um, I have to say, this is the most brutal form of. I think Lucy, you might have called this rejection bingo. Um, yes. the most brutal form of that <laughs> that we have ever seen it's just brutal like even when that last guy is like it's like just like having an actual conversation with her about uh, Judy Garland and then essentially just you're like he's definitely going to tick yes I want to you know go for a coffee or a drink with her and take it further he click you know he does the big cross in, right in front of her why Why? I thought they were getting on what's what's that they mean? were getting on I think it is like kind of alluded to maybe later on in the episode that because she's not quite human like she's maybe he's picking up on that like she's not acting the way a human acts not that he would know like yes oh yeah. the reason I'm turning you down no, is that makes not sense. quite human but there's something a bit unnerving about her yeah, perhaps. That's, that's the only reason what, I can... What an insult. It. I've heard that one. That's the one I've got before. I've had that before. Oh, I've heard that many a time. You're not quite human. Out for a drink. Um, said, do you want to... Should we go get another one? Sorry, mate. You're not quite human. <laughs> not quite uh, human. Right. No, I've just... Sorry. I've just I've just got a sense that you're going to turn into some sort of tentacle monster that's going to suck out ah. all of my memories and soul and then explode me. Right-o. Yeah. So, she uh, basically blind date or whatever speed dating sorry has gone horrifically and then you know we were talking about the the, the film what's it called um meet me in st louis right yeah. yeah and how that is a like fantastical lovely emotive story that's you know harnessing this love and trying to you know portray it and that's what she's been watching and she's trying to mimic these emotions so at this point i was like oh she wants to find love this is beautiful you know she wants to find that lightning bolt that spark mm. um then we get the next scene she goes out and seduces a man <laughs> yeah um takes him back to her place and then in He's a very heroes, the and horror He's hero psychic in here yeah, he is i mean heroes psychic in heroes a new two seasons of heroes him. very good um heroes after that drops off a cliff a little bit but you know I, 
what a great show. What a throwback. He was a great um, character thanks, as well. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, he was a great character. Glad to see him back. He was a great character. Good he was, see. yeah, that was very good, very good spot. Um, so then something very Lovecraftian happens. And um, as they are, you know, having sex, tentacles everywhere um, and very hairy ones I've put here. I thought they um, looked sort of and then, slightly arachnid. Yeah, I thought they were spider legs. That's worse, yes. I think, cool, than what it turns cool, out to be. It, way worse. I mean, look, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I think hairy tentacles are worse than sort of wet tentacles. That's my opinion. Yeah, but then um, they're just legs, but, aren't they? They're hairy. Oof. But until, until I think, I think, look, without wanting to jump too far forward, once it gets revealed that they're fox tails, it's more bearable. Yeah, well, 100%. It is, in I a mean, way. That makes it, it makes it, in a way, it makes it cute. Yeah, so kind of, yeah, don't worry about it. It's a classy, it's um, an elegant animal. Um, but do they have to go like into the eyes? On the eyes, yeah. They come they out of her that. ears, which made me a bit... Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the poor fella is, you know, our, our bloke from Heroes is is literally... Um, he, they, she's essentially absorbing his memories, it seems like, and then yeah. uh, tears him to shreds after she's... Um, seen the memories there is something um, here like you know so, so yeah she she sort of saw all of his memories um looks like he had a kid as well and a little family cheating yeah. um, little family i mean he is cheating, so, on him, is he cheating so. him? yeah um but also that he's climbed a mountain uh and then she goes she like mimics it and he goes yahoo before <laughs> ripping him to shreds um which there was something about that that sort of really, I really liked it. I don't know why. Like I, I don't. Is she, she sort of trying to uh, feel try, something? Trying to feel something, or trying she's to trying mimic to, yeah, being she's a trying human? To learn like, the human experience, I yeah. guess. Stuff that she's not felt yeah. before. Yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah. Uh, something. I don't know. I, I, I loved it. I thought this was. I th- thought this was a really good scene. Yeah, like as horrendous as it creepy, was, it was. It was amazing. Good. Yeah. 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 Very disturbing, creepy. So after she's literally ripped this poor fella, our, our bloke from Heroes to Shreds, and there's blood everywhere, the gore level is pretty intense. Um, basically, Umar opens the door and she's like, you know, at this point, you you know, you kind of thinking she, she she might be a bit disturbed by what, what's going on in here. <laughs> what um, have you been doing? <laughs> <laughs> what's been going on here <laughs> turns out uh, she's in on it and um, she demands 10 more of these sacrifices um, poor poor fellas 10 more that I sounds thought, like a lot you want yeah. me to kill 11 people that's loads yeah yeah I know I think obviously here we'll just talk about it and, and it's important for everyone to sort of try and put this episode in the context of Montrose and Tick's relationship but just throughout the episode and throughout our discussion, just think about how the Umar and GR relationship is it, so destructive. Like these parents trying to shape uh, their children because they are trying to protect them. Um, and we'll find out more about the Umar and, what, and, what, and why she's changed GR into this demon, essentially. We'll find out soon to, to protect her. In a way, um, do you think? And do you think there's... is there something there, like that she's turned Gr into a demon, um, 
is the is the parallel comparison are they suggesting that Montrose has turned Tick into a a demon? I think they're they're saying that yeah, something along those lines that Montrose has pushed Tick to the point of going to war to escape conflict in his own household, but then obviously inflicting pain and doing monstrous acts in the war. Uh, and there's a telling line later on, but let's just keep that in the back of our mind, that whole relationship between the, these two parental figures and, and what it's doing to their children. There's a good line later on, which says they can't let their parents fear shape them. And I think that essentially is, is at the heart and is the through line of this episode. So now we come to the summer of 1950 uh, and the Americans have arrived for the beginning of the Korean War promising protection. Um, Jiazuma is skeptical of this as she believes they are awful uh, and they rape the women they are sworn to protect. Yeah. Can I, can I just say I really like that that it's the Korean War um, that's shown in this because like, think about it how, how rarely or you know, how how often have you seen any depictions in in media about the Korean War? Like, I can't think of. I, th- I think maybe Mash was set in the Korean War, but but other yeah, than Mash that, is uh, it. I think like you off get the top of my head. You get so much Vietnam War. You get so much World War Two in particular. Bit of World War One. That in in terms of sort of major Western um, wars. Uh, or was that the that Western countries have been involved in the Korean War gets overlooked a lot, and it's it's often it's like just sort of mentioned. It might be a character's sort of backstory. They're like, oh yeah, you served in Korea for a bit, and and you kind of forget that it was an actual war. And so it's quite um, the words. I I'm struggling to find the words, but you know, refreshing in a way to actually to actually see the Bad word, the atrocities yeah. <laughs> of that war being depicted, and and to to understand that it was a war with the true horrors that come with war rather than just a, a an anecdote that that comes as part of a character. Do you know what I mean? Do you think it's quite interesting actually that we talk about Tick and his history as a veteran and you know what he experienced in war like changed him potentially what kind of changed him is what happens with um Gia later on because we don't actually see much of him in in um combat apart from in combat there's a scene coming mm. up i'm sure that we'll discuss yeah, but if you actually think about it like yeah. that what happens with g is probably more horrific than anything that happens well no not quite but it's just so otherworldly and unexpected that that may be why he is the way he is more than the actual combat something to think about yeah he probably wasn't expecting that was he no not after that no, no. <laughs> well we find out here in this sort of section that Gia uh, is a Kumio spirit uh, and that once she devours a hundred souls, the spirit will leave her and she will become human. Uh, it also seems that Umar summoned this spirit potentially to deal with her husband. Now, uh, did a little bit of research, didn't I? Because I love looking into uh, myths, uh, legends, uh, creatures. And Lucy, what's that podcast you listen oh, to? Oh, Myths and Legends. That one you always tell us about? Free advertising. Yeah, and Legends, yeah. yeah. quite a few episodes on like Japanese or Korean um, spirits or demons. And they are always very interesting backstories. And yeah, I mean, a nine-tailed yeah. demon that wants to take revenge on men. You know, I'm all about that. Yeah. Do it. Lucy's in. Lucy's into that. <laughs> Sounds a bit like you, to be honest, Lucy. 
We've only got like tails five tails max, but yeah. Ah, so fair enough. Um, so Agumio is a uh, literally a nine-tailed fox. is a creature that appears in the tales and legends of Korea. Also derives from ancient Chinese myths and folklore. It's a Pokemon too, no? Sorry. Nine tails is yeah. Nine tails cracking Pokemon. Um, it can freely transform into a beautiful woman often set out to seduce boys and eat their liver or heart obviously it seems they've taken a bit of license with the souls and memories in this uh iteration of the gumio what what do you reckon to this exposition heavy uh i think it's needed because it's a bit mental yeah what's your thoughts on this then nine tails not the pokemon the um you know Um, gr i think it's an interesting choice that they made nine tails a fire type Pokemon. Um, very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting, Gareth. Yeah. yeah. Could, could easily That's be That's our Pokemon podcast. Let's, let's save that <laughs> we'll for another week. We'll save that. Um, yeah. I, I would say that personally, I'm, I'm quite exposition sensitive. Um, but I didn't mind this here at all, to be honest. I thought, um, I thought it worked quite well. Uh, there was a moment earlier in the episode that I, th- I thought didn't when they were talking about sort of the different types of um, sort Pokemon, mode. <laughs> water type, nature type. <laughs> bit much that one. Yeah, it's a bit much. Dragon, um, fairy, you know, got them all going on. The, um, the the only sort of exposition that that stood out to me was when the the, the nurses were talking about the sort of different tones that you talk to each other in Korea and. Uh, like uh, they're explaining to each other Ban, like, yeah. Ban Mal and uh, yeah exactly Jornal or Jordal and, and the show like, is quite bad yeah. though, oh. though. like exposition yeah, like that, that was a explaining things that that was the a bit mad that bit. I furiously was googling that I was furiously googling that <laughs> yeah. like, when that was going on yeah um, but I, I didn't mind the explanation of the Kamiho I, I felt like that's cool it felt sort of Maybe it was just because I was so interested in the myth itself um, yeah, I that I let it go. Um, but it sort of seemed natural, uh, a natural conversation to me. Um, yeah. yeah, so uh, the story progresses, because obviously this is a time where Umar is, thinks is a perfect time to get more of these delicious souls um, to fulfil the 10 needed to then essentially transform... Um, the Kumio back into her daughter, right? So that's the goal. She wants to get her daughter back. This is some form of possession, as it were. Um, and it's believed that if she gets these 10 souls, she will actually get her daughter back. More about that later, because we'll, we'll get into some interesting conversations between those two. Um, but Gia has a friend, Young Ja, who we've seen earlier in the episode. And they see a communist get hanged. Um, and Young Ja says, you know, that, this is kind of the point of the episode as well that you know why are they killing each other like they all they're all the same they're all human why are they doing this to each other that's a larger theme obviously of the show um and it's interesting to see how this is paralleled with our main storyline that we've been seeing right in chicago in, in, in 50s america but did you think that the relationship between gia and her friend was maybe a little bit more there's a more of an undercurrent when she was saying oh i'm different too and she's like the way she was holding her hand and things like that i did think that loose i did uh i did have that but i think it's yeah maybe there is more to it but i think 
when I'd finished the episode, I came down more on the fact that she had a connection with this person. Like, um, it made her feel like just a friendship sort of love. I know that's the way I came down on it first, anyway. When she's I mean, looking I guess at her, it's when they're, when they're dissecting the body and talking about yeah. flirting, she looks like she's looking at her like taking the piss. Like, this is, this is how no. you talk to someone. This is how you do yeah. it. You wouldn't know. And then it kind of changes into, why don't you come as well on the date? Like, we can enjoy the view together. I have to say, Lucy, I hadn't thought of it as being that. And that, now that you've said it, it seems very clearly to me like that is what it, that was the intention. Female insight, um, that girls for you. Even yeah, with my five thanks, tails, uh, I have the female that's insight. Five tail insight. <laughs> yeah, even with your five tails. Um, you've got all the perspectives for us on this one, haven't you? Yeah. Um, Lucy uses insight. It's... <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that that makes those those looks make more sense. I thought the same. I thought maybe they were sort of bullying yeah. um, GR, mm. like she was a bit of an outcast and she didn't really fit yeah. in. I thought that was the purpose. But no, that makes a lot of sense that actually it was a bit of a, a romantic um, uh, yeah, relationship. And the demon with nine tails goes on to kill an American soldier, meaning that she then only has one more soul to go. Uh, but Yungja says something interesting to her, like, you know, and I've mentioned this already, like, don't let your parents' fear shape you or turn you into something like your your her mum refuses to see her for her, like, you know, trying to change her into something. Uh, and at this point, after killing this American soldier, she only needs one more soul, but she refuses to kill anyone else as she doesn't want to change. Her Umar says that she doesn't know love as she can't feel anything because she's a monster. That's brutal, isn't it? That's brutal. Imagine hearing that every day. Well, I mean, if Imagine you are a that. monster, then you might not be that offended. You might be like, but yeah, she turns it she around monst- on her. Though. Is she a monster? She's like, you, you got a yeah. man. You knew what he wanted. You let him do what he wanted to your daughter, and you're calling me a monster. Yeah, you're the real monster if anyone yeah, is. Love. That's true. And you know, Gr says to that Harumar that her daughter is no longer inside her, and she'll never ever have her daughter back. And then recounts the memories of Umar's husband, who we find out here raped GR when she was younger multiple times, which is why Umar enlisted the help of the shaman to summon the Gumio spirit into her daughter to protect her at a great cost. Um, do, you, do you keep saying now, Gumio with a G? Yeah, it's a pronunciation thing. Oh, I looked it up. Cool. So Interesting, isn't it? That is interesting. So, okay, cool. Can it be either? Yeah, it could be either, mate. I think we're supposed to say Kumio, but I, I, Kumio, sorry, but... I looked and it said Gumio somewhere with a G. I don't they know. It's a pronunciation thing. Show, I, I apologize if I'm getting it wrong. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. You know, it's. Um, I'm doing my best here. No, okay. all good. All good. <laughs> just, I just, yeah, no, just, we're all learning. We're all learning. Would Emma get called out like this? Interesting. Probably would. To <laughs> absolutely, be fair. yes. Um, absolutely, definitely would. So, this is interesting to me the fact about learning about the husband and how Umar basically got you know gr possessed yeah. to protect her from the world and this is that story that we're talking about about the parent doing something that they think is protecting their their children but are they really protecting their children or are they losing no. who their children were it's exactly yeah, it's, it's, in this case very literally this it, that's all it is isn't it it's just turning that story literal uh which is pretty excellent um 
and yeah just this is a different yeah. form of hardening the your your child i guess and and hardening them to to defend themselves against the big bad world that's out there but really her mum exactly. could have defended her by not marrying a rapist pedophile man oh. there's your other option yeah. there's, there's <laughs> there are other only options. two and that's the, the the kumiho gumiho spirit either one um yeah it's pretty pretty brutal stuff and you do really feel for gr here especially when i i personally feel like every time she gets told she's never going to feel anything and she's a monster by her mother i think that's just heartbreaking to see um and fantastic acting from gr throughout this episode um the episode ratchets up a bit here because um we see uh, the group of nurses get rounded up and taken to an American camp where it seems that uh, someone who's been working this shift uh, has been leaking information to the communist uh, army or communist soldiers. And I couldn't believe how brutal this scene got, to be honest with you. So in this scene, you've got um, the nurses, but you've so the ones that we know, obviously, are GR and uh, Youngja. And essentially, um, we know that Young Jai is the spy because we've been pretty much shown that throughout the episode. Um, uh, and the American soldier, who is an African-American, shoots the uh, one of the nurses cold, you know, in cold blood, essentially, when they don't give up any information. Right. It's not even that, is it? It's not even that. It's just it's just to set an example. Like, it's set an so example, gruesome. yeah. It is so brutal. I mean, and then, you know, in terms of an introduction of a character into the episode, because at this point we're, you know, it's a testament to the episode that it's all been in Korean, uh, pretty much, uh, apart from Judy Garland singing and stuff. It's all been, um, you know, without any of our main cast members from the previous five episodes. Uh, And then Atticus walks into shot uh, and literally shoots another poor defenseless nurse, in between the eyes and she's dead and at this point i was like jesus christ um i've learned more about atticus in this two milliseconds than i have you know in a lot of the previous episodes i found this to be a very uh, disturbing moment for one of our main protagonists thoughts i think what yeah. is interesting um i don't know if anyone else feels this but growing up in the west um especially when you're younger, you kind of think of America. And I'm not trying to shit on America because, you know, Great Britain hasn't got the best record in history either. But you think of everything they do is ultimately for the best. But I've been, I've actually been to South Korea, Seoul, and been to the, um, the army, the army, the museum of the Korean War. And I've been to the army. (laughs) Yeah. You joined the army. I enlisted. Yeah. Joined the army. You were in my five tails enlisted. Um, (laughs) But the Korean War, not so much, but with the Vietnam War, if you go to the museum in um, Saigon there and learn about it, like they, there were a lot of atrocities committed by the, the good guys, in quotes. Um, and I think this showed it in quite a simple and brutal way. Like even Atticus, you know, he's just, we've been following him throughout as the hero and here he's shooting a lady, a civilian, like a nurse, yep. point blank in, in the cold head. Blood. Yeah. It's a war crime. And he, he doesn't look particularly perturbed by it nope. either it don't no, look like it's his first time point. he looks let's have it right mm. no um and i have to say it's it, it was brutal to see because and, um, they have the audacity to to be communist or to be potentially yeah, helping I, I, communists. yeah it was yeah. 
this was this was a tough watch. Um, Young Jar then reveals it was her because she doesn't want to see anyone else die. She's taken away and presumably killed as we cut to fall 1950. Um, now, I thought, like, the history of violence... Let's go into this history of violence theme because that was episode four's title. Um, and I just feel like this episode and the previous episode of really hammering home this history of violence thing. Lucy just alluded to it with the war stuff. I, I think it... If you th- maybe it's like what Montrose did to Yahima. It was this idea of of um, the oppressed becoming the oppressor, like we just mentioned there. Like it's a very similar thing. Like what Montrose does to Yahima, Tick's just done here to one of these nurses, right? And I find that to be a very interesting parallel between the two men. Especially as later on in the episode, he says like we're oppressed at home, and then there's the um, Korean American soldier who's like I'm foreign there and I'm foreign here like I don't belong anywhere and it is quite interesting and I think you know Muhammad Ali famously took a stand against the Vietnam War because he said why am I going to go and um, kill other poor people I I don't get treated well here why am I going to go and fight for this country so it is interesting and obviously Montrose was critical of um, Atticus for trying to advertise the army because he's like you want to get more black people killed like what what are you doing it is yeah i think you're you're right to point it out len because it is it's a choice for sure and why they've chosen to do that is definitely open to interpretation but it is interesting mm. okay so we're in full 1950 back in the hospital um and grc's atticus is in the hospital that she's working in and this is where she plans to take his soul as the final and 100th one she begins to try to seduce him and as she gets to know him more you see that atticus is the atticus that we know they discuss the count of monte cristo written by alexander dumas which of course is important Uh, it's also montrose's favorite book and that is probably the most uh, important signifier to uh, atticus and, and why he has it and it's testament to their relationship that he still has that book and is reading it for his father what do you think about this idea that we start you know she's trying to seduce tick but then we start to see the cracks uh happen in that plan because she starts to feel some sort of affection when she sees that he's actually a human being who does regret the things that he's done and you know likes the similar things that she does the movies the books yeah you go ahead guys no, I, I just think, um, you know, the the point here is that uh, good people do terrible things sometimes. Bad things. And mm. um, uh, Tick does seem like a, a good person. But, but yeah, if you if you had just, if, if he only existed, well, I'll tell you what, actually, think of his um, commanding officer in that scene. What's your view on him as a character? You'd think absolute piece of shit wouldn't you you you'd think he's a terrible person um because we don't see any more scenes of him we don't know his character don't know his favorite book um, so monster. don't know what his book is yeah don't know his favorite book good exactly right um and you know uh, and maybe maybe we judge characters too quickly based on um based on the snippets that we get and and it's it's just interesting, you know. We we know more about Tick, um, so we we have that we have that context and we have that background. Um, when I saw that 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 first scene where he does shoot the nurse, I thought this is that's irredeemable. You can't 
that that's unforgivable um but why is it why why is it i don't know why is it that then when i see him getting upset because his glasses are broken and he can't read properly that i'm like ah oh, bless him it's tick let's because you're a I monster as well guys actually turns out <laughs> yeah gaz you're a monster it goes it goes back to the whole us trying to um defend what montrose did and we're not defending him at all but once again it goes to show that if if we can forgive tick for this action then maybe there's room to forgive montrose as well um in some regard in some way i just want to know um, why he did that that's the thing I, yeah i don't want to I'm get sure, into this one again i, I just hope have we, no idea yeah. of what the purpose was yeah We've got some feedback on that, so don't worry about it. Okay, good. But um, Atticus then surprises GR with a private viewing of the movie that she really wanted to see, Summerstock. Um, But the theatre obviously burnt down or was out of action when the Americans arrived. Um, So this was actually a very sweet moment and quite cool. Then she decides to take Atticus back to her murder chamber, (laughs) as I've written here. Uh, And... It's interesting there that he <laughs> proclaims that he's... Uh, That's what Len calls his paper. Murder chamber. Yeah. yeah. The murder chamber. <laughs> uh, and there he proclaims that he's a virgin um, and that he he's done terrible things. Um, but the fact that he's with her, she helps him remember that he is a good person. And at this point, I was like, there's no way she can go through with it now because he's literally pouring his soul out here without giving it to her I mean, literally and and we um, oh that's interesting that's actually an interesting reading that he's he's giving he's pouring his soul i was gonna say the other reason that we know that she doesn't do it is because we know he gets back home yeah of course yeah i know but just yeah spoiler spoiler warning for episodes yeah. one two three four five yeah um but before she does absorb his soul she um stops and orders him to leave um her remar then says she's truly a monster for having feelings for the person who killed her best friend. Ouch. Ouch. That's a um, fair point in some ways. I mean, it is, but it, it it's, yeah, this is the, this is the gray area that we're in at the moment with these characters. It's fascinating to me. Um, you're sort of torn every which way and, and not knowing how to feel about certain situations, scenes or characters. Um, and I quite like that at the moment. I like this, even Numar, you know, like she seems like an absolute dickhead, but she just wants what's best for her daughter, you know. So it's a tough one. Um, GR then confronts Atticus, saying that they've both done monstrous things, but that doesn't make them monsters. Thoughts? I like that line. I liked it a lot. But I think, yeah. like, um, Atticus enlisted in the war, so he's kind of chosen to go and do those things, whereas Gia did not choose to be, and like, have a nine-tailed demon summoned to her and having to slaughter all these men like there's no but it's both they're both a product they're both in these situations because of their parents but true but tick, tick reveals that he that he didn't want he, he enlisted because he wanted to get as far away from his father as possible that's what he wanted to do his father forced literally forced him away and in terms of Gia her mother essentially uh, has done the same thing pushed her daughter so far away to protect her he's lit she's literally subdued her to be possessed by a demon to protect her so they're both products of their own household their own family and this is what has driven them to this point to become monsters yes one very literal and one obviously um more in a in a in a human sort of way but it's fascinating to me that we've got those two storylines sort of mimicking each other at this stage one the literal representation of the other one 
Hmm. Um, yeah, it's good stuff. I think it's good writing. And I, yeah. I think it makes this relationship fascinating to me. Um, they then have sex and she doesn't kill him with the nine tails. Yeah, She can control uh, it turns out at some she, points. Yeah. Lucy, can you control your five no. tails? Just out of curiosity, can you control they them? They control right, me, okay. if anything. Yeah, right, okay. <laughs> okay. Right, Good. stay away from five tails. She then proclaims that she loves Atticus to her Umar, who says that when he finds out, he will never love you for what you truly are. Um, and literally, we see in the following scene that when Atticus reveals he can go home, uh, Gia cannot restrain her tails. Uh, and uh, she sees that Atticus will die if he goes home because unfortunately for Atticus, he gets the old um, eye sucky job going on, um, which is pretty gross. Yeah, um, get off the eyes. And but it was obvious that we, this penis. is how she was going to foretell or foresee what was going to happen to him. I always thought this was going to happen in one scene. Um, so what do we see here? We see... Visions of Tick going to Chicago, which we know has happened. We see visions of him and Letty, I believe. We see him strapped up to a machine. Yeah, uh, which it is kind of looked like how a cross, we believe or how way. she. Like be- a, it, he looked like he was. Cruci- yes, um, I I don't know what book thing they're drawing on here because there's I don't want to spoil anything, but um, I was puzzled by this. Also, to say that we do also see her friend uh, Young Jar being tortured, yeah. and I thought that was quite visceral and brutal. I mean, teeth pulled um, out. Oh. Yeah, and it, yeah, for me, I felt like that might have <laughs> tipped her over the edge to kill him or something. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I know she can't, but because of the timeline and stuff. But I was a bit worried for for Tick when I saw that flash. I was like, oh Jesus, that's that's not going to do you any favors, mate. To be completely <laughs> honest. <laughs> Um, stop thinking about that Um, so yeah anyway so now she's foretold the future she says don't go back you will die if you go home okay which is what we saw at the end of last week's episode die written on the ring I believe that was given to him by Christina um, and then used in that ceremony Um, and then he obviously called her to say how did you know this Um, so I thought that was good stuff Um, I love the uh, relationship between these characters, so uh, it's, it's it's just very fascinating to me. I think the th- uh, the the message that he was decoding last week says a bit more than die. I like there's there's more to that message. Die? How did you yeah. know? You will. Die. You will die. Well, you will die. Yeah. I mean, if that's what it is, though, that's a bit shit, isn't it? Um, I I mean, I, I we we know already, like. I think in episode one he called he called her, and she said, "Oh, you you went home. You you shouldn't have. I told you you shouldn't yeah. have." Um, yeah. So we we know that he's he's already sort of been thinking about that message, and yeah. So it'd be interesting to see exactly what that says. If it is just you will die, I'll be, be like, well, why has this suddenly panicked him when the the nine tail fox wasn't bothering him before? Um, like the fact that she was giving him that message didn't bother him, and now that he's got it from a ring, he's like, "Oh God, it's the I papers might die now. again." Ah. <laughs> the, the papers. Yeah, let's see how they let's see how they <laughs> let's see how they clear that one up. We have a final scene where Gia and Umar go to visit the shaman, uh, where they see a cool looking fox. Yeah, I nice like that fox. fox. That was cool. Um, cool, yeah, fox. very cool fox. Um, one tail. And I thought this was one quite, fox. I feel quite. 
yeah, I feel quite sorry for GR because everyone that she has a conversation with just sort of tells her she's horrible. Uh, the shaman says to GR, <laughs> "You're you're a dick. You're horrible." He literally says, "Oh, don't worry, don't worry, mate. You'll see countless more deaths before your journey's done." I was like, "Oh, this is horrible. Why? Well, I, I just want the girl to catch a break, you know?" Um, yeah, she she could have said, "Don't worry, you'll see countless more Judy Garland films before oh, your time is up." Yeah. Nice? Um, that'd be lovely that'd be nice the theatre will be I've just foreseen it the theatre will be back open in two weeks so <laughs> just crack on um, no, and that's the end of the episode so any final thoughts from you guys before we crack on with feedback in Cthulhu Corner uh, any extra analytical points you'd like to bring up about the episode a fantastic bottle episode that um, has reinvigorated the show I think on many levels aesthetically story wise given more uh, depth to tick um and just a great show creation from something that doesn't even exist in the source I have material. One, Thoughts, guys? One thought. Um, in episode two, when she, when Atticus has his nightmare and he's fighting with what we assume is like a Korean War guerrilla fighter, that I always thought that I think it's the girl that he I kills. That was Gia, it's, it's Young yeah, Ja. It doesn't look like her. Yeah. And also, she wasn't. She was a nurse. I think it does look like you. Maybe. So that that baffled me a bit. I need to go back. Mm. Yeah, I need to go back and watch it. If any listeners out there are going back and doing some research on that, what do you think? Let us know. You can email us at fancriticalpodcast at gmail We're going to get onto listener feedback in a minute. Um, but that's a fantastic thought. You know, look even at that flashback where she was getting her teeth pulled out. She was in some sort of army garb, I believe. Or maybe it is then. Seemed like they... maybe he did have some fightings. Yeah. With her. So and then she was he captured her. So yeah, she was just in her nurse outfit. Yeah, maybe it's just him literally fighting his demons. You know, like that that scene. Um, but yeah, let us know. You can email us. I, I just want to echo what you've said. Um, just a a great bottle episode and and i think you're right it's a it's a a breath of fresh air is how i think you put yes. it earlier and that is exactly what cleanser. this is because it's a palate cleanser for the mm. series which cucumber water delicious was at risk Lemon sorbet. Um, it, yeah this is a, a wonderful wonderful um i prefer a like an orange or passion fruit sorbet personally and that's what this is raspberry mm. for me but that's not mm. as refreshing so lovely Right, well, thanks, guys. That's our take, our hot take on the episode, episode six, Meet Me in Daegu. Uh, now, obviously, it's time for Cthulhu Corner and feedback. A quick prefix, there isn't much uh, Cthulhu Corner this week because we have a lot of feedback to get into, so play the music. Welcome to Cthulhu Corner. Yes, and feedback, of course. All hail Cthulhu. Now, before we talk any more Cthulhu-related things or, you know, references and all that jazz, it's time to say that we have to wave goodbye to Lucy, actually, because she has to go look after her five tails (laughs) and her bubba. So, um, unfortunately, Lucy will not be with us for the feedback section. Um, but she's going to listen to it. She's going to tell us yeah. her thoughts in private. So don't worry. Don't worry. Um, thanks for being no with worries. us, Luce. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks for being with us. Speak to you no, soon. Farewell, um, our five-tailed friend. Yeah, five blueberry tails. Yes, our five-tailed friend. We will. We will see, see you, you soon for sure. You'll be Bye. back. Bye.
hopefully next week. See you later. Bye. All right, Gareth, let's crack on. It's time to go through all of the references that I could find in this episode. And you know what? There's one. Okay. So um, there's actually more than one, okay, but good. I don't think we have time to go through them all. Just give us but the one. The main one that give us the another main one, one if we need I actually, if we need it afterwards. Yeah. The main one that popped into my head was this film that I hope a lot of people have seen. And um, if you haven't, and you like weird, and I'm talking very weird science fiction, um, then check this out. Okay. It's called Under the Skin. Oh, um, and it's a film with Scarlett Johansson, and it's a sci-fi horror where she seduces countless men and essentially absorbs them in a way. It's it's very visceral, very bizarre. Um, Can you just remind Scotland. me? Set in Scotland, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yes, it's set in Scotland. and it, basically filmed essentially on like a handy cam sort of style. It's very raw, and the storyline here is very similar. This idea of mimicking emotion, trying to feel something, trying to um, you know, she's trying to understand and interpret human beings. And as she does begin to do that, she begins to generate her own feelings. Very similar things go- is going on here with uh, GR and her character. If you haven't seen that film, I implore you to go watch it. It's actually quite Lovecraftian in a way. Yeah. Uh, so some of the set pieces and not, not set pieces, but some of the sets in that, in that film are very Lovecraftian. Um, they make your brain sort of, question what they're seeing which is a very lovecraftian thing as well so um my hot tip for anyone is under the skin with scarlett johansson do go check that out now it's time to move on to listener feedback and you can email us here at fan critical and lovecraft country critical by uh simply emailing sorry fan critical podcast at gmail.com is that it is that it for Cthulhu Corner for this week? That's it for Cthulhu Corner, mate. mate <laughs> when you see how much feedback we've got, mate. you're gonna you're gonna be like, okay, maybe we didn't even have time for that one. Right. Okay. Next week um, we are we're bowing to the listeners' demands and we're bringing back Lovecraft Lounge. Uh, okay. Well, no listeners have said anything about Lovecraft <laughs> well, Lounge. You say that. So I've got anyway, at least four messages. Um, yeah. So you can email us. Just email fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com like Julia Christine has. Hi all, uh, loving the podcast. Something that's been nagging me uh, with the show so far is the magic. We have the language of Adam that the show is centred around, but magic doesn't seem constrained to this society. Outside magic clearly exists uh, with the house being exercised and then protected from Christina entering it. Earlier in the show, we have Diana's seeming clairvoyance with her drawings on her father's map which could be the use of foreshadowing, uh, but she's a cool character and I'd like to see her more. Also, this GR character we'll be meeting in episode six. Obviously, we just have. Yep. It's clear to me she's keyed in on something uh, just from her very brief conversations with Tick. Psychic or overly anxious, I guess we'll find out. Maybe we'll get a flashback to the past where we see the origins to some of this magic Maybe. and find out Yep, and find out the current members of the Order, the Ancient Dawn, aren't all that special. I'm probably just picking things apart too much, but would love to know your thoughts. No, you, you, you're right. Magic just exists in this world in many different guises. The interesting thing is in the book, they don't call it magic. I actually hate the term magic. Uh, they call it natural philosophy, which I think is a much more better way of trying to understand it. It's more sort of understanding more nature. doesn't it? I, yeah, I think- and how they understand the world around them. I think one of the points there, uh, and maybe I'm sort of... Um, reading between the lines a little too much but it's interesting that that that's not sort of recognized by um 
the society in general in the show, if you know what I mean. Like, it seems to be pretty prevalent, but it's not. But generally, people in the show are uh, as we know them to be in real life. Do you know what I mean? Like, magic's this... um, uh, Nobody thinks that it exists, but it evidently does in this world. It does in spades in this world, apparently. And and like and and you know like like Julia said there, um, in every different culture, in in mm. you know we're seeing elements of magic. So so I think that is fascinating to know. It's not just uh, the sons of Adam. Um, Will Bees had this to say, "Hey there, fan critical on the Mon- on the Montrose character development discussion from the pod. In my honest opinion, I'm not sure they're intending for us to give an excuse for Montrose for how terrible slash monstrous he's been." In life, we view bad people just as inherently uh, without context. But in reality, how they came to be what slash who they are is a complex ball of life experiences. This episode was the context portion of that. What you do with it is up to the viewer. You don't necessarily have to care slash excuse him or think he's good now, in little quote marks. It's simply just more information on who he is. That's just my opinion, of course. Uh, lastly, it's similar to Ruby's scene with the store manager. I think it's up to the viewer to determine if it was wrong or not. In my opinion, nobody deserves to be sexually assaulted. But the important takeaway here uh, was why it happened, the context. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, we did discuss this a little bit last week about how I know I was staunchly in the in the camp that it, there's grey characters in the show and we love grey characters and they have the capacity for good and evil um, but you are right, like, you know, the show might not be asking for us to forgive Montrose. It actually might be saying, <laughs> you know, this is the situation. Um, there is context, uh, but we don't know the full context of Montrose's situation just yet. But this is, the, I, I, I'm i glad that this has come up again, because after after listening to, to last week's episode, I thought about this a little bit more. And I think that my issue, and I think a lot of other, a lot of other people's issue with it, was that it's not so much that it's not so much that we're going oh the show wants us to forgive him Montrose for what he did it's more that um if you want us to care about Montrose then we have to understand the reasoning of what happened with Yahima and I I don't think we've been given a reason for that not it's, yet and it's not yet no that uh, correct not yet until that happens, it's really hard to go, well, I'm going to be invested in Montrose and because I'm just, I'm still baffled by his motivations and it's not mm. enough Sim- to go, well, he's yeah. conflicted and he's got his own demons. Like, I want to know what he thought was happening here. Whether it's that he thought he was protecting Atticus or um, whatever, like, it doesn't mean that I'll be like, okay, cool, well, I'm glad he did it. But then I might be like, right, I understand why he did that. Like, I, I don't agree with it and I don't forgive it. But I understand from his perspective as a character why he did it. At the moment, I've got nothing. Yeah. Well, here's a reason for you. CJ Fitzgerald uh, has come in and said this. Greetings. Love the show and your analysis. Thank you all. No, thank you, CJ. Uh, one thing. I had to pause your latest pod after an hour or so because I couldn't stop shouting time travel at my phone. As soon as I saw Montrose kill Yahima <laughs> last week, I instantly thought he was fixing the future, the future um, with this heinous act. Uh, necessary to save the universe or save Yahima and her people. They mentioned time travel in a previous episode. They did. They did mention the time machine. I remember that 
because I was like, what the fuck are they talking about? Um, and then he goes on to say, had that not occurred to you, maybe uh, you say it before the end of the pod, in which case... I will travel back in time and kill this email. And he laughs. Uh, no, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't say anything about time travel and Yahima. And there's a reason for you, Gareth. What if it was a um, predetermined event that he had to fulfil to save the universe then, in some regard? Well, then absolutely fantastic, and uh, and well done. <laughs> well done to all there involved. If that's the case, well done to all who got. Yeah. If that's the case, then it's the best thing ever. Um, but I like that. Thank you, CJ. And yes, the time machine does exist, apparently. Um, I don't know what they're going on with that. I mean, I don't know if we need time travel, to be completely honest with you. It's a bit it, mental it would as be hard as to right now. Hard to squeeze that in, wouldn't it? Yes, very much so. Next email from uh, Taylor Cirillo. Hello, love the show, love the humour, and I love your willingness to lean into discomfort. My name is Taylor, and I felt compelled to write in after hearing John uh, Foster's email last week. First off, I'm a 27-year-old black woman from... New York and it's difficult for me to say this um, but I do disagree with John's email and this was last week we were talking about how uh, John was he's a 71 year old black man who had lived through um, well the times the, of the, sh- the, of, the time of the show yeah. and he gave us his perspective in the email we said that our take mm-hmm. on race was a bit you know nuanced and she goes on to say what what on earth is nuanced about voter suppression segregation forced poverty housing and loan discrimination and the list goes on Uh, She appreciates the fact that uh, black people are not monolithic in their thinking, but I found this letter detrimental to the progress and terrific allyship your podcast continues to display. Please do not be discouraged from tackling challenging content. content. Uh, The more we are all comfortable being uncomfortable, the faster we will be able to find common ground. Thank you for all your delightful work. Yeah, it's another, you know, it's a take that I, you know, we can't dismiss. It's, you know, that's your personal opinion. I think... Uh, John's opinion was that of he has seen tremendous uh, progress over the over the course of his lifetime. Um, now, look, we don't live in America. We don't have that perspective. We don't have your perspective either, Taylor. And if you, you know, from your perspective, there, there is obviously so much more still to be done. And I'm, I'm sure we all echo those thoughts. And I'm sure John actually probably echoes those thoughts. Um, but it's fascinating to see um, these different opinions, right, Gaz, and how the show is talking to people in different ways. Yeah, it is, and I, I, like, like you say, that everybody has their perspective, and you cannot argue against that. So, so John has has lived through seventy years of what he has seen as as progress um, in that time, which is wonderful, and maybe for Taylor. Um, in how, how Taylor's like 30 ish 27. Uh, 27. Yeah, 27 there you go so um 27 years maybe in that time the progress has been way too slow for Taylor for, for Taylor and um for other people and and that's totally fair enough as well I I, th- I just think it's really important that people like people like us kind of take a step back and go we we cannot dictate how people feel about these issues because we're we're not the ones who have lived through it and experienced it and and are experiencing or are experiencing it, are experiencing it, it at this yeah. point um mm. we have a, a tv show that sort of uh, it tries to it shines a light on some of those issues for us um but we can only we can only understand those issues um initially f- through our own lived experiences but 
but we have the advantage of also being able to educate ourselves and and gain better understanding from people like you taylor and and like john who who let us know and that's why we're so appreciative of, of these types of and that's uh, this type of feedback why, yeah why we're appreciative for all that type of feedback uh the discussion and discourse around the show is fascinating and eye-opening um much like watchman this show has shone a light on so many different issues events um even like the korean war this this week uh, which we said hasn't really been um highlighted before so we do appreciate all feedback like that thank you so much for your email uh, next up is dr robin ford hi all i started listening to you last year when i found emma and lucy's coverage of stephen king movies by accident when i was looking for coverage of castle rock we do have a podcast called castle rock critical you can go check that out if you like hulu's castle rock it's good fun i was a little disappointed when the men came back but you've won me over ouch gareth <laughs> ouch um, i mean cheers. you're stuck with us now yeah uh robin i have to say because lucy's just left and it's me and gareth we've managed but to stage a coup you. we've we've uh we've got we've rid staged of the coup yeah. I'll, for, I'll forgive you for that um anyway um they go on to say the following <laughs> i have to say that i'm glad that john took himself out this is our john um who took himself out of the Lovecraft country coverage because he's just too negative for me. Why cover things that you're just going to poop all over? True. We, you know, that, that, that's a fair take as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, just to, just to defend John a little bit, like he, he wasn't coming into this series with the intention of going, I'm going to shit all over it. Uh, No, he wanted to come in with open mind. It just wasn't a show for him. He doesn't like the fantasy elements of it, if you will. Like it for him, it's too, it's too fantastical. That's why he doesn't like the show. You know, that's just that's just it. Um, they go on to say, but now this podcast gets five blueberries for me. Yes, remember, leave us a five-star review as it translates to on, on iTunes. Thank you very much, Robin. Um, as a 57-year-old black woman, I appreciate that you do your research and try to understand the American culture in the show, particularly what it was like for black people. I think it's also important to keep in mind that there is no one single black experience. Some have been more fortunate than others when dealing with systemic racism, uh, which is probably why some support our president in brackets, even though I can't for the life of me understand that. Regarding your analysis of Montrose, I think you're reading it wrong. There is no excuse for killing Yahima, period. And I still hope she comes back as a spirit in Letty's house. That's interesting. Um, However, I think the show, particularly with the title of the episode, A History of Violence, is demonstrating how violence begets violence. And everyone who acts violently believes they are doing it for good reasons. I think Montrose kills Yahima to keep Atticus safe. The same way he burned the pages and previously the handbook. He's terrified of this magical legacy and is doing what he thinks is necessary as a father to protect his son. He has so many fears for Atticus. Fear of the magical legacy has already taken George and perhaps Atticus's mother. Fears of losing the only person he has left in his life uh, now that his brother is gone. Fear of not being a good father. He didn't want Atticus to enlist in the military because he might not make it back. He also has his own fears of what will happen if his authentic self, a queer black man in that time, is doubly in danger remember when this is taking place there is a beautiful chapter in the book with montrose and atticus and i hope they include it in the show to allow us to better understand montrose keep up the great work very interesting email and um this this history of violence theme which i talked about a bit in this podcast is uh, certainly at play here um and i think what's important to note here is yes violence does beget violence um 
maybe that says something about why Tick does what he does in this episode and how he has picked that up from his father, right, Gaz? Yeah, I mean, it's also uh, it's also the role that he has to play, though, in this war, isn't it? Um, uh, and um, yeah, I, d- I don't know. Maybe maybe further analysis there is is required. Whether Atticus's decisions in this are based on his his father or um, just just his yeah relationship and how it's pushed him away and hit the violence used against him which we even see a little flashback of in this episode which i know we didn't mention true um yeah. yeah good point has has influenced him um so yes violence does beget violence and the violence in this show is is happening and it's happening on a, on a very regular basis and um yes history of violence indeed next up we have an email from um alicia brenner Hi, Fan Critical. I'm a new listener. Basically, I was compelled by my fascination with this series to seek deeper discussion of all the themes and references and chose your podcast because I heard right away that Emma had taken the trouble to not only read the book the show is based on, but also all of Lovecraft's writings in preparation for this podcast. That's my kind of girl. Just want to put a little tidbit in this. I've also read the book, so do I get a little bit of praise? Gaz has done nothing. If I can put my tidbit in, I've read much of Lovecraft's work so yeah yeah to be fair he has done that I think he says he has anyway um overall I've been enjoying the podcast enormously as I don't have anyone directly in my life also watching the show uh yet it's nice to have a group of people who feel like they could be my friends to discuss this with oh thank you that's nice lovely we, we are friends. We're all friends. Now we're friends. It's, it's official. I'll admit that I was initially hesitant to choose this podcast for one reason. As you say yourselves, you are five white British people. And I was worried that some of the important cultural and thematic elements of this show might fly over your heads. But I feel you have done a good job with those. I'm especially glad when you can point out things I might have missed, like the sad connection of Bobo and the Ouija board scene. I am also grateful when listeners like Tara and John, who have written in the past couple of episodes, share their insights and experiences. I hope they will continue to do so. Thank you so much for giving your proper value to that sort of listener input. So, of course, anyone can email us all your thoughts, fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com. Go on. Uh, Alicia goes on to say, now, of course, I also have things to add. Let me preface this by a brief glimpse of where I'm coming from. I'm a woman raised in the US with a heavy dose of Native American culture on one side of my family, but who very much looks like a woman who would have a German last name. I moved to Northern Europe about 15 years ago, in large part to escape the sexism towards myself and bigotry mostly towards others I experienced in that country. The element of this podcast I've been most disappointed with Um, is the dismissiveness of misogynistic elements present in the show. For example, at one point you guys literally said, the only people with more privilege than white men are white women. And that sentiment has echoed several times in other episodes. I understand not liking the character Christina, especially if you were attached to the book, uh, though she felt like my window into this world. Not that I grew up in anything like that sort of privilege, um, but as an Ivy League graduate, etc., I travelled in those circles and understand how women are treated and how feminine ambition is thwarted and belittled, despite having grown up 40 plus years after the events depicted here. Um, what do you think about that, Gareth? The fact that we're dismissing misogyny? I, I think it's actually a really good point. And I think that we we have glossed over that element a touch. Um, I I would probably suggest that that's, that's just... Ugh just because the focus of this show is is on 
the 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 racial divide probably rather um, than than any kind of uh, sex or, or gender divide that exists. It, and that's that's where our focus has been. Um, it does get mentioned. We have mentioned it, but I do think it's fair to say that we only mention it in passing. Um, yeah, it's not. It's not. Yeah, it's not as prevalent in the discussion. That is fair. No. We'll try and do a better job and of that. It would be See, interesting okay. to yeah. hear what uh, what like Lucy and Emma think of this, and Lucy in particular yeah. is, is. It's a shame that Lu- it's a shame is, that Lucy had to leave this feedback section because um, yeah, I mean she, she's she's really passionate about about this, um, and so I'd love to I'd love to know whether Lucy thinks that we've glossed over it. And I think I I hadn't really thought about it, so I'm glad that it's been brought to our attention because yeah, I reckon we probably have. I think that's fair. Fair enough. Uh, she also goes to say, uh, I'm also so glad they brought up this two-spirited character, which I've also not seen anywhere else. Uh, even growing up, my tribe's culture has been so heavily Christian washed since my great grandfather's childhood that these sorts of histories were suppressed. So yes, I was devastated to see that character killed so thoughtlessly and brutally before we got to even know them. I can only think they added this character as a foreshadowing of the two-spirited nature of uh will tina see using my uh the the the, the william no, you Christina said wistina name so thing. you said wistina. Oh, did i oh. yeah will tina's better in it yeah it's much better right. i really like will alicia tina. wins alicia wins yeah. uh yahima deserves better and i wish they had dealt with the repercussions of their death more in episode five um i love this show i love the fast pace the weirdness uh and the genre of the weak design and i can't wait to see where it goes from here uh, and how you guys discuss it. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Alicia. Uh, some good points there. Thank you for your support. And um, we'll try to give a fair representation of the misogyny in the show as much as the other issues that the show depicts, for sure. Uh, and finally, we have an email from Irv Parchman, who wrote in earlier this season. Hey, folks, first, I want to thank you for giving me a shout out. Uh, in episode one I'm still really pissed that George was killed off he was one of my favourite characters in the book and on the show adaptation yeah, yeah. you know what uh, I'm with you we say R.I.P. George every bring week bring back George R.I.P. George bring back George George was the best um, I'm doing this from my recollection of the podcast so forgive me if my thoughts seem scattered with respect to Montrose's motivation for killing Yahima uh, unless I'm missing something I thought it was pretty clear Montrose did want him slash her to translate Titus's pages from the book of names so he killed her and destroyed the pages yeah, I think he just wants to, we've talked about this, like he wants to stop. We we think it's that he wants to stop Tick from getting access to any of this sort of magic stuff, right, guys? Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, Montrose knows more about the Order than he's letting on. I think he has more arcane knowledge of the Order, the book, the Book of Names, and the Order's bylaws. He may be a student of the Order's ways and rituals. Perhaps he's even a practitioner of the Order's magic. That's interesting. I think that that's very interesting to me. Um with respect to Ruby's story, I thought it was interesting and made me think of the concept of black people passing for white in America. Uh, but in this instance, Ruby is actually transformed into a white woman. I think Ruby gets addicted to taking the potion because it affords her the freedom and opportunities as a white woman that she never experienced and would never experience as a black woman during this period of 50s America. Um, yeah, that addiction. We spoke, I, spoke about that. The drug, the addiction, yes, very much so. I also thought the night out with the fellow white co-workers to go to a black club was commenting uh, on those women going slumming. To them, it was like a safari into the mysterious, exotic world of dark folk and they got to experience their dark culture. That's an interesting... Yeah, I mean, that is kind of the way it came across. It was... um, Yeah, um, 
I, I feel like, yeah, it's a, like it's a safari. That's, um, yeah, it's a good way of putting it. Um, mm. A quick comment about the special effects. I also like the special effects of the show. I thought the transformation of William Braithwaite into Christina Braithwaite was stylistically very similar to what David Kessler undergoes in American Werewolf in London. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that very much. Um, I also appreciate you reading some of the emails from black listeners of the show. I'm also black. I grew up in South Central Los Angeles and I was born in 1958. So I lived through the period where the fight for civil rights for black Americans occurred. I also want to state that I think you folks thoroughly, uh, thoughtfully handle and discuss the racial issues the show addresses. Uh, thank you so much for your email, Earth, um, and thank you for your support. Um, and thank you to everyone who has written in and anyone who wants to write in and anyone who is listening to this podcast. If you do want to write in, you can email us at fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com. The uh, email address is in the show notes. So if you forget it, it's just there. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram, fan underscore critical, Twitter at fancriticalpod. We are just fan critical on Facebook. Um, and that's pretty much it for this week. A fantastic episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. Best one. Much Best one yet. Shot in the arm. Best one yet. I want to thank Gareth for being with me today. Thanks, mate. Thanks for hosting. Wow, what a job. <sighs> no worries, mate. It's a lot of work. I forgot. I haven't hosted for a while. I forgot <laughs> how many notes you have to write. Hand the Honestly, reins back to it's Emma. It's like an essay every single week. Yeah, handing the reins back to Emma soon. Um, she will return. Don't worry. She's just busy this week. Lucy, uh, obviously, thank you, Lucy, for being here. You can't be here right now because you're looking after your five tails and your baby, but. Thank you very much for being here. She says thank you. And that's it. Thanks thanks for listening. See you next week for episode seven. See you later, guys. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. 
Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.